go, go, Mr. Chief. Go, 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 and shoot the halo. Uh, yeah. Go, go, gadget, halo. Halo, boys! In the house with the uh, halo cast, your number one halo fan cast called <laughs> Master Chief's Podcast. Yep. Nowhere will you find two more dedicated fans of the Halo franchise than right here on this podcast right now. We are as zealous about discussing Halo and its lore as the Covenant is about whatever shit the Covenant likes. <laughs> I- I- I've played a Halo game. Oh yeah, follow follow the fan cast, follow the Halo cast on Twitter. We won't flood your feed. Oh, that's, okay. that's something from Halo, isn't it? I, I think I, it is. Yeah. I admit that was a bit of a Halo reach. Well, look, I I don't want to be the arbiter of humor. <laughs> okay, let's get on with this because this is a business and I've got to get some profit from this podcast. So, let us talk about Halo. We we I watched two hours of Halo today. Yeah, me too, and I, I feel like I still don't know anything <laughs> really about Halo. Well, I mean, for a, a one hour fifty seven collection of short stories, it took an awful amount of time to say simple sentences like the flood came and then they were beaten and then the covenant came. And they fought for a bit, and then we stopped fighting because the flood came, and then the flood was stopped, and so we fought again. It yeah. stretches that that bit of storyline over the first twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and filling uh, in backstory, but not telling actual stories within the backstories. Basically, just reading Wikipedia. <laughs> well, and that's that's what's sort of horrible, I think, about this collection taken as a whole. Um, like originally these shorts were released through Halo Waypoint, the yeah. online community portal, and they weren't presented in this order originally, mm-hmm. uh, as they are in Halo Legends or Halo Legend, depending on where you go for it. Yeah. Which is I went odd. on Amazon and it's called Halo Legend of the Gobbos. <laughs> Uh, I love Croc. That was a great game. I, I hope that I, holds up. I played it quite a bit back in the day, but now cannot remember anything about it except the title screen. Yeah. I remember playing it. I specifically played it. It was like Gex without the attitude. Yeah, yeah, basically. It was Gex who, who knew its place. <laughs> Fucking Leslie Phillips running around <laughs> trying to be a lizard. I see you, Leslie Phillips. I think it was Leslie Phillips who did it. The whole the, the old ding dong man who used to go ding dong when he saw a lady he liked. So in the original presentation of these shorts, the yeah. origins one and two, uh, the the two which are this just sort of narrative history of Halo universe, really boring, incredibly boring. Uh, it was the third. They were the third and fourth in the sequence. Right. So they were bookended on either side by these more character-focused adventure stories. That would have 
that would have been better pacing for the fucking collection of it because yeah they were very dull one on one very dry um, but some of the other stuff was while uh, visually a bad choice some of them um, narratively they were interesting enough for someone like me who doesn't actually care about Halo right they were fine uh, I think to say that it's not necessary to know anything about the Halo universe to understand these stories and find something in them, right? Yeah. Well, they're all actually really simple and straightforward yeah. stories. Exactly. They're they're not complex, and none of them are yeah. longer than like twenty minutes. You know, so they're not they don't have a lot of time oh, to tell a complicated story. And he's and even... complaining about having to be the backup shooter for the Spartan. The Spartan keeps saving his ass. I bet he takes the shot at the end. Oh, yeah, he did. Okay, next one, please. Right. It's basically, they're very predictable. They're very predictable, and they're surprisingly threadbare at the same time. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, they're only 10 to 20 minutes, but they all drag tremendously. There's a lot of wasted, like, playing for time. Similar to the Castlevania series, except just... Not There's nothing all that worth waiting for at the end of the establishing shot. Yeah, yeah, and and it's I I liked the funny one. Yeah, the funny one was 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 fine. The comedy one was I, mean, I, I didn't have me laughing, but it was it was amusing. the The problem with the comedy one is that it is the kind of anime that I hate. <laughs> And so while I recognize that it's funny and it is that is at least a breath of fresh air, it was uh, mitigated somewhat by the fact that it is a form of comedy that I have difficulty connecting. That's fair with. enough. That's fair uh-huh. enough. Um, so what experience do you have? Because we haven't done this in a while because we've we're, we're so far along in the show, the the spinoff doctors that we it's been a while since we've talked about a movie based on a game. And had to talk so we, about our experiences with yeah, those yeah. games. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about a, a new franchise on the show. Because yeah. I believe this is the first time we've done Halo stuff. Yep, it is. Probably it is. the last, if I, if I get my way. It, it, that, there's a very real possibility of that, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I, play, I have played the original Halo. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it's like Frampton Comes Alive. You know, came in the mail and boxes a tide. Uh, and I didn't finish it. Uh, nah. You know, it was, I recognize, I could recognize why it was popular. Like, and I, you know, it, it was clear that they had a universe that was pretty well realized. Uh, later, I, I did play, it was either Halo 2 or Halo 3. I can't remember which one. It's 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 the one where the Arbiter and Master Chief team up. That's three. Okay, that's three. I, I played that one, and I only did it uh, as sort of part of a bet. <laughs> like that was that was why I did it on a bet, uh, which I won, and uh, but I, I it was fine again. Like cool actiony set pieces. It's a very well paced game. Uh, but it's, you know, like popcorn, uh, in the end, I, I consumed a bunch, but I didn't really feel like I got anything out of it. 
other than sort of consumption. Yeah. I played the first one, didn't beat it. I played the third one, I did beat that. I played, like, the first ten minutes of four. I've played some of Reach, or was it ODST, or were they the same thing? I think they were different. They were different. Um, I played one of those. Uh, maybe both of them, actually, a bit. Uh, and I played Halo 5 Guardians to completion, if I recall correctly. And that's the only one I've ever reviewed, um, because people kept calling me biased against Microsoft um, for not reviewing a series that I just genuinely had no interest in. So I thought, right, right, fuck it. So I reviewed it and got all the facts wrong in the review um, <laughs> on purpose. Um, and, yeah, I've tried. I played Halo Wars. Um if you listen to some people, I never did. Um, but I played Halo Wars. Uh, I, 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 there was something else. A mobile game. Spartan, I think it was called. For some reason, for a series I, I, I just have no connection with, I've played so much of it um, just over the course of me doing my job over the years. Um, and not, I've tried. I've really tried. It does not appeal to me. I cannot get into it. I mean, it says something about the sort of ubiquity of the franchise that I have terminology in my head that is Halo terminology. I identify all of the uh, all of the Covenant forces yeah, yeah. by their names in the games. Now, I don't know their races or whatever, but I could tell you the drones, the elites, the brutes, that all came to me immediately. Yeah. Um, well, it's very straightforward. Like it's it's for a, a series with such a huge amount of lore, it's all very straightforward. It's not like Kingdom Hearts or something where right. everything's just a complex mess. Um, it's it, yeah, it's it's very straightforward. You got your space zombies, you got your space zealots, you got your Spartans, you got your ODSTs, um, and yeah, it's all not quite color coded for you to see it at, at a distance, but it might as well be. It's so s- simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes it very easy to pick up literally any Halo game and not feel lost playing it. Um, and that's all to its credit. And like you say, it's a, it's a well-paced game. I can't deny it's a well-made game. Um, but the multiplayer never appealed because it's that style of gameplay that it's just not for me. Um, the more old-fashioned sort of everyone's just jumping up and down, whittling health bars. Um, that's not my kind of thing. Um, I recognize it is... For, for other people. I did have um, some fun in the multiplayer, but I, I liked sticky grenades. I mean, that was just always the fun. Well, there you go. If me. you find something you like, then... Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the the guns never felt great to me. They never have. Um, I've, I, I don't think they're badly made. It's just... I, I don't enjoy it. I, I simply don't enjoy it all that much. Um, I can play them and, and have a fine enough time. Just like, oh, shoot, shot some aliens. Um, the tone's a little off with some of the aliens compared to some of the story beats. Um, mm-hmm. But the characters don't interest me. They're all quite flat, um, as far as I'm concerned. The uh, visuals always turn me off. It's not that it isn't a pretty-looking game. It's that everything looks like it's made out of plastic. The art style is such that it all looks fake, like action figures being played with. And that could work for some types of games but it doesn't for a game a first person shooter that I'm that I'm supposed to take seriously. Well, and I mean um, that's that's as evidenced by its sort of uh other representations in the culture. I mean probably one of the the best examples of Halo related or Halo adjacent content being Red versus Blue, which is basically 
action figures. Yeah. And it's it's the gig. So Yeah. Everything about it is just a little bit kids playing with toys. Mm-hmm. Which again is fine. It, yeah. But it doesn't gel with the tone the games want to set. So it's always left me feeling a little bit disconnected, a little bit alienated. Um you know, I'm trying not to discredit people who do enjoy the sh- the series. No, um, that's absolutely perfectly not. fine. It's, I'm just trying to explain why. It's like Jeff Buckley songs to me. I recognise he's a very good musician, or you know, was a very good musician, but not a single one of Buckley's songs has ever connected with me. It just glides off like oil on water. I've used that term before for uh, certain other games, like the uh, like Ico that everyone loves. It's like oil on water to me. It can I be as brilliant either. as people think, but I I I will never get into it, and I've tried. It feels like such an empty box in the the early stage of it that I never make it anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Irritates the piss out of me. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's Halo. Like I've I've been trying from the the first one through to I guess Halo Five was the last one. Well, there's um, Halo Infinite is supposedly in production now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's more to come. But, yeah, no one can deny. And I'll probably check it out. You've given, yeah, you've given this a, a pretty clear shake. I, You know, yeah. it, it was something that I recognized this was never going to be for me, really. It's it, it, While I appreciate that it attempts a story uh, with its... Uh, single-player content and and that they have taken steps to create a, a, a lore that is immersive for the people who are interested in it it's yeah not doesn't do have that effect on me and uh, and that's fine uh, so I just I did, didn't go any further with it and I'm never gonna be a multiplayer guy I, I, that yeah that's just it so yeah. that is a good score Mysterious girl, I want to get close to you. <laughs> That's the Halo theme, if anyone's interested. Um, should we get this done? Because, yeah, let's, let's yeah, do it. I've spent it. two hours looking at Halo today, and I don't want to spend another two hours talking about it. All right, let's, let's go with Halo Legends. Starting with Origins 1. We open in a derelict ship that is, I know, narratively important, and I'm sorry, I just can't. Uh, It's floating in space as Cortana explains to the Master Chief that the sum total of human history required two hours for her to understand, and oh fuck, is that going to be what this two hours is? A hundred thousand years ago, an ancient race lived in this universe that faced calamity from an outside force called the Flood, and so we get to watch as they descend to this planet that's covered with some mechanical life, and these spore-like things start spreading and growing and, like, enveloping a dude, but, you know, mostly just hanging out. Um, they consume intelligent life and become more intelligent in the process. <laughs> Makes you wonder why they ever attacked humanity. <laughs> hey! Well, <laughs> I mean, is this, I guess this is an intelligent approach to doing this? Like, how many species has it really consumed that this is still how it's doing things? That's true. It it doesn't stop and have a chat. Yeah. 
And it's, it's I don't know. It it probably spoke at one point in the games, and I've either forgotten or not played that one. They probably had like a like that robot in the Matrix that does the talking. I mean, maybe it's an if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of deal. I mean, yeah, they've already consumed a lot of civilizations. I mean, that's effective to but do I, a whole planet. But I can't help but feel that if you just like stop for five minutes. You know, and did the whole, you know, we are Borg, resistance is futile, your technology and such and such will, you know, be integrated into ours. There'd be some races that'd be like, yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, we're yeah. down for that. Well, maybe and- you could get some least resistance and save some resources. I mean, alternatively, the Flood could just open a fucking book. <laughs> if it wants to get smarter, go to fucking school, Flood. <laughs> Uh, so there's also this ancient race, the Forerunners, and uh, they started to, uh, they, they realized the threat that the Flood represented and sought to do some cleansing of it, so to speak. So he says to see these badly animated robots firing slow space lasers at Flood-covered ships and humanoid Forerunners warp into surfaces to face the Flood with plasma pistols and they get... <laughs> Eaten and it sounds shit. so into this, and it just—it's—it's it's so not exciting. It's it not really dynamic. is dodgy. Sh- yeah, it really is just like you know, it's bad anime. People say that all anime is badly drawn. It's like yeah, but you can look at some anime. I mean, some anime is absolutely beautiful, um, but you can you look at the stereotypical anime. And if if you're one of the people who say that's bad, even you could point to this and say, oh, no, that's bad anime. Well, it's like there are two sorts of clear directions that anime sort of go in for me. Um, and and they're, they're sort of typified by uh, either a desire for more dynamism in the action on screen or a desire to fill time. And this is very clearly a desire to fill time kind of deal. Yeah, so we don't absolutely. We don't want to do a bunch of animation, but we we have X amount of space we need to get in. So we're going to take everything here to the absolute longest shot that we can manage. And uh, as a result, it's even when you're in the heat of battle in most of these, you know, there are exceptions, uh, but for most of these shorts. It, it just it's a matter of fact it, yeah. again you might as well be reading a wikipedia because it is just so and then you know you often say on this show fighting happens to get over a fight sequence in, right. in a movie um but this they may as well have held up a placard <laughs> in the show in the the short that says fighting happens because it, it is just so so matter of fact so oh well yeah they shot their lasers, of course, and here there's, are some ships in the space. There's no impact to any of the combat. No. It's all impersonal. Um, and it's just a. It doesn't. It, the, the combat doesn't serve the purpose of exciting us. It serves the purpose of informing us that combat has happened. Right. That that's all it is. It's informative. It's not yes. thrilling. Yes. This is the encyclopedia. Well yeah. Yep. Like, Which I, I even guess... Ken Burns had. Like, he could make still images interesting with a little bit of a zoom here and there. Ken Burns had more going on in his war documentaries, and that didn't even have actual fighting. He just talked about it. Now, we we might have to consider the source, you know, the character voice involved. This is an AI presenting this. 
So, um, well, don't give AIs TV yeah. shows. Yeah, don't put them. Don't make them your lead. Yeah, <laughs> not till they're call. capable. Not until artificial intelligence is capable of producing television content on par with at least the prices right. Do not let them on TV. It took her two hours <laughs> to understand the whole of human history, but she still hasn't figured out how to be interesting. Yeah, she needed another hour to work out that we actually like to be entertained. <laughs> Kiltana, what are you doing? Uh... Facing this impossible foe, the Forerunners created a system of weapons that they distributed throughout the galaxy that would cleanse it of all sentient life, thus starving the Flood while it kills it just in case. So, if... (laughs) (laughs) Which is it? Like, are you not confident the weapon could kill the Flood, but you are confident that it could wipe out every other species, and therefore the Flood will starve? At some point, you've got to admit, you just like building super weapons. Yeah. You're just in it for the super weapons. Will this work? I don't know. It looks big, though. <laughs> uh, but they had a plan. They, no, they, they're not forerunners for nothing. They then replaced all of the other species that were in the galaxy from samples that they had taken prior to activating the weapon. But no, no sillier than Prometheus, but not themselves. Because then I guess this wasn't a vanity project. There wouldn't be an ancient lost race for someone to find later. I think at some point you've got to admit you're just in it to be an ancient lost civilization. (laughs) So so are we going to be part of the repopulation of the galaxy? Oh, no, no, no. We're going to be spooky, though. We're going to have, like, old ruins and shit. This is a Dude, legacy project. Trust me, no one's going to This research facility us. is brand new. Well, get some chain and distress it. Make it look like an old ruin. <laughs> Come on, think ahead. You're a forerunner, for fuck's sake. Is that what we're calling ourselves now? Yes. What are we before? This shit I'm making here, I've made a person. <laughs> and do they, call them, they called themselves the forerunners? Of course they do you did. Think? Because they're pretentious. They're forerunning what? That's why they... Their own calamity? (laughs) Well, that's why they worked to make sure that the the other races would survive. So that's what they're forerunning. This whole thing. They probably invented the flood as well, just to give themselves an interesting, tragic backstory. (laughs) It's just a race of pretentious wankers. Well, this is how Origins 1 ends. <laughs> Origins 2. His- uh, let me just sum up. Like It took them 10 minutes to basically say flood bad weapons make. <laughs> yeah, well, it's and, and we, we haven't even gotten to humanity yet. No. <laughs> so the history lesson continues in part deux. Uh, Cortana talks in these grandiose terms about the evolution of man out of the muck that the forerunner sacrifice was in vain because we're all about that war shit. And we showed the rise and fall of one civilization after the next. And we get to see the Egyptians and we get to see the Greeks and the Romans and all this burning and until such point that we start building spaceships and we all come to a, uh, come together in agreement on one thing. One thing that we've all known as a species 
from the very start. We cannot all stay on the same goddamn planet. That's yeah, how we yeah. solved war. <laughs> or that was going to be our plan to solve war. You know what? Fine. You go to your planet. You go to your <laughs> planet. So we start seeing planets being colonized and populated and find out that, go figure, just because you put people on different planets doesn't mean they stop wanting to kill each other. Well, no, no right. shit. I got a mother-in-law in Canada. <laughs> I could have told you that. <laughs> That's a classic. That is some classic goofing right there. <laughs> Uh, we see more battle, but now it's on space platforms with lasers. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully, Cort- as Cortana points out, we're real good at having common enemies. And then we see these Zoomy Covenant ships start swooping around space and doing the space fighting. And then... <laughs> So, cool, cool, cool. All of humanity uh, now comes together to fight the, the Covenant. Yeah, which wouldn't happen. No, people no. would complain still. Oh, sure, people would complain. But, well, I mean, I think it would be kind of like, a, you know, World War Two. we're all going to, you know, we're all going to come together and face the Nazis uh, until, like, the last couple months before the war ends and then, you know, we'll secretly be, like, figuring out ways to kill each other because we both know that the Nazis are done kind of thing. Uh, same sort of deal here happening with the Covenant. But this is, like, the Matryoshka doll of that because then the flood comes out <laughs> and, and then the Covenant and humanity in its own already, like, fractured sort of but accepting alliances come together themselves to deal with the flood. Yeah. Then the space spiders come along and the floods and the Covenant and humanity team up. And then back on the derelict ship, Cortana gets up and brushes off a cryo chamber that Master Chief's sleeping in. How, how is she doing that? Fuck knows. Okay, just check it. AI dust. I, I thought she was a hologram. She a hard light hologram. There is some law here that someone is furious about it that no we doubt. don't know. We no don't know why Katana can do that. Uh, but she determines that as long as there's man, there will be war, which is what she said at the top. So, you know, thesis statement supported. Yeah. Uh, a That's the end of Cortana's TED talk. Uh, I, I, I think you probably could have cut it down a few paragraphs. Uh, there's some redlining that I'd well, return yeah. it with, I mean, but solid effort. Um, Origins 2 takes 10 minutes to say... Covenant bad, flood come back. Covenant also bad, flood also Co- bad. <laughs> flood also bad. <laughs> uh, flood which, stop, covenant bad again. Which takes us to the duel. Uh, yeah. so, now, before we <laughs> before yes. we talk about the duel, which, as a story, ain't bad. Predictable, like everything else, but ain't bad. I want to say I see where they were going with that visual style. Yes. I see what they wanted to do. To I see give what it this they... watercolor, the CGI watercolor look, so it looks like a painting come to life. What it really looks like is a badly compressed cutscene from a PC game in the 90s. Yes. This is, this is actually pretty tragic because on concept... I kind of... Lo- you know, th- there is an artistic and stylistic 
parallel that they're drawing with the narrative and sort of putting together these sort of tropes, uh, combining Halo with a, a samurai story. Yeah. And using a sort of Eastern-inspired watercolor uh, design to convey that. And that could all be really good. The problem is that it is in digital format, um, at least as we're watching it. Maybe on uh, in a theater, on a screen, this would look amazing, right? Maybe. But reds don't compress well. Yeah, it, that doesn't help. There is one particular fight scene where I was like, this really looks like it's a, a 90s compressed yeah. CG thing. Um, but even then, like I think even if, if it wasn't dealing with that, the watercolour seems almost like it's hiding the fact it isn't all that well animated. That's true. Um, which doesn't help. It, it, it gives it that stodgy, again, 90s CG look to it. Um, so all in all, I just think the whole... I, I see what they were going for, and I respect that they wanted to do it, but I, it just doesn't look good. Yeah, it doesn't land. Um Mm-mm. So uh, we start with some some visions of an elite. Uh, you know, okay, look, this is the one time I'm going to do it. Uh, they're the Sangeli. Are you happy? Ooh. Uh, but we showed a load warrior walking through a forest and encountering another group of elites and doing the fighting with them. And as this happens, uh, we get a prophet speaking in flashback, telling the Arbiter that Harka, another elite, is taking some great journey, and that's going to be better for the Covenant... Uh, or it's better than, than the Covenant for the... I don't get what's going on here. This is the first Covenant point. shit. Like, this is the first point at which I feel like my failure to already be conscious of the lore is now operating at my detriment to being able to understand yeah. this story. It's just covenant shit. Like that's, I mean, that to me is one of the beauties of Halo, is you can, if you want, just think flood bad, covenant bad, covenant shit. This is just some it, cult It'll shit be happening. something religious, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, the, the uh, prophet asks Arbiter why he won't take the journey, and the Arbiter says that the journey's a lie. Okay, but I don't... I'm sure that means something to someone, but it ain't me. Uh, He's... Uh, an elite is going on a lie journey. Yeah. Okay. We all do that from time to time, yeah. I guess. Uh, at a meal table, the Arbiter talks with his wife about a dream he had. And tells her she should leave town for a bit, a bit, but she's not into it. All right. Pretty dull scene. Yeah. Later, he's training his troops, and the Arbiter's approached by uh, Roe, I think's the name of this guy, who asks why he's being such a dick to the prophets about the journey. <laughs> and the Arbiter believes that their race has given up their principles of honor in exchange for power. And so he's willing to sort of like stare, you know, stand in the path of his own people in service of t- those ancient beliefs of their culture. Oh, I really want some garlic bread. Mm. I got some Texas toast in the freezer. Oh man, I last night do the job. I made a grocery store run like in the ten minutes before they closed, and I picked up a, a loaf of brioche. 
Ooh, I made, you'll enjoy that. Yeah. I made French toast with that at like midnight. Lovely stuff. Sat there in my in my in my chair and in my filth and in my fatness and just <laughs> like ate butter and bread. That's one of those adult moments. Like people talk about adulting, you know, yeah. doing all the uh, work and changing light bulbs and doing tax payments and shit like that. But you know you're an adult when you can eat brioche in your own filth in the middle of the night. And right? no one will say otherwise. No no one will tell you to stop. Oh, I, I mean, no. someone might, but you have the freedom to <laughs> yeah. not stop. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Had my wife walked out in that moment to witness <laughs> yeah. this, there would have been words and some judgment. But, That's but, yeah. it. Ad- to... Adulting is is basically the things you were told not to do now become disappointed judgment, which you can survive. Yeah, you can live with that. You know, and and we have to always sort of, I think, cling to that memory. Hang on to that memory of being a child and thinking about all of the great things you were going to get to do when you were an adult and all of these rules no longer applied to you. Yeah. You know, it's okay to acknowledge that y- y- there were more rules than you ever fucking realized just yes. waiting on the other side of that. But you still get to break the old ones. Well, that's the best that. thing. The best yeah. thing about being a child is that children are stupid. And therefore, the goals you set yourself as an adult when you were a child are so easy to obtain. Yeah, they're attainable. I've already attained every goal I've had as a, I had as a child. I've done it. Yep. I've stayed up till two in the morning. I've eaten food after dinner, obviously. So I've done it all and I will do it again and I will be just as happy yep. knowing I'm breaking the rules. <laughs> the quote unquote. Yep. Uh, it's, yeah. it's... When mum has friends round, I don't have to go to bed so that I don't disturb anyone because she's in her own fucking house. That's right. Uh, and I'm in mine, and I'm up, and I can watch old episodes of the Fast Show till midnight if I want, and ain't no one telling me otherwise. That's right. When I'm president, I'm going to have sports teams round and order fast food for them. <laughs> no one can stop me. <laughs> All right, so what was the Arbiter up to? What, oh. what was that cheeky little scamp fucking around with? Uh, yeah, so uh, it, it cuts to fighting happening, actually. Cause, uh, oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Arbiter's fighting a whole fuck ton of elites. And and it is so goddamn slow. It like, really is. It's it's really bad combat. It's just terribly paced. And, you know, like, I often want these things to be over just because I want something else to happen, you know? Yeah. And and there are times when the fight is fighting is perfectly competent and maybe I'm not giving it as much credit as it perhaps deserves from a choreography or cinematography standpoint because I want to move past it. Uh, yeah. And so it is tragic that now, by contrast, I'm focusing so much energy on how awful <laughs> this is now. But yeah. that, them's the breaks. Well- you're more likely to write a negative Yelp review than a positive one. It's true. It's just, it's the, it's the way it breaks. It is what it is. And we will focus on, we will gloss over excellent fighting on our podcast, but we will excruciatingly detail the shit fighting. 
from their throne room, the prophet tells Harka to take what's most precious from Arbiter. So it's uh, real good. We got that establishing scene showing he had his wife. Um, yeah, because otherwise I'd have thought it was his shoes. Right. They're uh, really nice. So blue. So- They're actually blue. They're literally blue suede shoes. <laughs> Uh, so someone shows uh, up at her door, and she recognizes them. She all smiles and opens the door wider. And, oh, who's that much bigger dude behind him? That's not great. Uh, Harka notices the one that uh, she recognizes to kill her, so that Arbita is going to be forced to fight him. And that takes fucking forever, but he gets the job done. Uh, I will, uh, I'm going to cop to having watched all of Halo Legends at 1.5 times speed. <laughs> I wish I'd thought of that. Uh, oh, fucking hell. I watched the entire one hour, 57 minutes like a chump. And and I swear to God, even that was intolerably slow. A lot of the other bits here, it, oh, it feels almost appropriately paced at 1.5 times. Uh, even wow. this one is just a, a disastrous shit show. Um. So Arbiter, oh yeah, he gets the job done. Arbiter wins at his fighting with one of those dopey little infantry guys, the, the drones or whatever they're called. I can't remember now. The grunts. Call, the grunts. Calls him a monster before he's comically slain. So cool. Got a little comic relief in there right before he comes home to find his wife dead. He does the scream with rage thing. Pretty typical. And goes to confront Harka. And after what feels like a literal eternity of build-up and waiting, uh, we get the samurai one-stroke attack. and yeah. uh, Which was so badly visually represented because of that art style, I wasn't even sure what had happened. Like, yeah. I, I saw the, the typical stuff, you know, they dash past each other a little bit, and then one of them is all nani, and blood comes out. But then but they when the really Arbiter turns the tables the... on the other guy, it's so visually messy, I'd still... He well, just stuck his sword in him, right? My assumption was, because I'm not 100% either, because they sort of... They flubbed on the flash, right? Every one yeah. of these sequences has a flash that indicates when the strike comes. And they do a full screen thing instead of, you know, like dividing the screen in a way that indicates the attack. Uh, so it's just not executed well. And I got the sense that they both just hit each other and both mutually dead dealt fatal blows. Yeah. And that is what happened, right? Like, that seems to be like he got him, but he got him. Yeah. So they're both collapsed. But it was just visually so badly done. I was like, well, how did he get him? Oh, I guess the sword's in him, I guess. And, and me- that's it. Not really knowing or remembering a whole lot of Halo lore. Like, okay, but the, is this the Arbiter? Or are is what the... I, okay. I, I used to think there was an Arbiter, and this one was just the current Arbiter. But then I, I got the impression, and this, this really is me not knowing Halo lore. I'm not having a go at anything Halo yeah, yeah, yeah. related yeah, to. Yeah, no, I'd be totally... I just don't understand. But right. it was my impression from this story in Halo Legends that they retired the Arbiter rank, so it's now a, a shameful thing to be, and that's why he's the Arbiter. Yeah. I think. I could be entirely wrong. Listeners be mad about it somewhere where I'm not. 
Uh, but that's that's the that's that's the end of yeah. Knowing of exactly what happened in any of this will not enhance my life. No. Uh, next up is Homecoming. Uh, we get another brief, hist- mercifully brief by comparison history lesson. That ex- oh, so that only about five minutes then. Right. Uh, it, it explains that mankind discovered alien intelligences in 2525 in the year 2525. Uh, namely the Covenant, <laughs> which preceded their kick their asses all up and down the galaxy. And uh, voiceover explains that the last hope for humanity is this new type of uh, super soldier, the Spartan 2. Why did I pick up a set of keys? That's the last thing you want to be playing with in a podcast. <laughs> I'm going to put them back up. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I had to go out of my way to reach for those keys. <laughs> There's a battle that's uh, between humans and Covenant drones that's raging on, and then shooting happens, and one of the shooters does the best shooting that's way better than all the other shooting. Uh, and their gamer tag's probably like 420 no-scope, 69 with yeah. four X's on either side. Uh, the the battle temporarily calms down, and they radio back to base for a rescue team uh, because they're totes surrounded. And the guy that's on the radio, Ralph, is known to the badass shooter who's named Daisy. And uh, a flashback follows that shows Daisy and Ralph as teenagers, leading a group of sci- or telling a group of scientists that they're not going to be their toys anymore. And then it cuts to them at a campsite where they're talking about whether or not they can actually, like, go back home after all. So, uh, okay. Credit where due. I have complained a lot up to this point about the way in which it's presenting a whole lot of information, doing a whole lot of telling and not showing and not, you know, leaving space for us to fill in gaps naturally through story progression. Maybe I was hasty. This one, honestly, is one of the better ones on there. This story but is one of the better ones. But this does swing so hard in that other direction now that I'm equally, like, I'm as confused as I was bored. Oh, okay. To some no, extent. See, I, liked, I didn't mind this one so much. I, I quite like this one, no, pro- I, of, respectively. Of them, it's... Certainly the most interesting. It's the one that has me thinking about it after it's over, right? Yeah. But that is in part because I, I just I, I don't understand it, I think. Um, but we'll, we'll see how that can happen. Uh, back in the present, there's more shooting happening as the team's trying to reach this extraction point for the rescue they've called in. And then back in flashback, as the, as the one we call Daisy arrives at a town... And am I right in thinking that it's, like, kind of in ruins? That was the vibe I got? But maybe it was just felt like... I can't even... I can't remember. I don't know. I literally watched it, like, two or three hours ago, and I can't remember. But then it then it does this sort of hard cut to uh, her being in, like, a cryo chamber, being looked at by scientists... And it seems to imply that this is everything here that she's doing now is a simulation that she's experiencing. This one does skip back and forth in time a bit to where I was confused as to what was a flashback or what was happening after the fact. Right. There's a little bit of that, like near the beginning, especially of this one. A little bit of that dick shit happening. Yeah. Um, but it, so she's, she's then seen, shown tearing off her dog tags as she's walking 
towards this community or whatever it is. And, and then in the present again, if this is the present, I think, Daisy's rocking a warthog, which is a vehicle I know exists in the Halo universe. I've ridden on one of those in the game. I know that. I know a warthog. I think the I think the warthog is maybe the most mechanically significant aspect of Halo in terms of its success as a game. Yeah. Like finding out that the that vehicle was fun was the the inspiration point that um that this game needed. Uh and it's nice to see one here. But uh anyway, arriving now at what is I guess her home in the flashback, Daisy sees a young woman in a wheelchair who looks just like her. And it's explained in voiceover from, I guess, the scientists that this was a clone created to replace her and live out the life that she would have had had she not joined the Spartan 2 program. Yeah. So are these kidnapped kids that are being replaced? Is that how it worked? Or, like, I don't understand, A, the necessity, or, or B, the process. Made for a great twist, though. Yeah, it does. I mean, it made for a twist, though. Uh, as, as Daisy is telling Sergeant the present to make a run for it across a bridge while she covers him, she's running towards the clone in her flashback. And so they're sort of cutting between these two points and sort of like, oh, you know, everything's coming together for us. Yeah. Cool. Fighting in a war is... Like, running after your clone is the message of the story. And reaching the other side in the flashback, she aims her pistol at the clone, and then back at the present, well, Daisy's been hit by a needler as she reaches the end of the bridge. And she's down. And her team on the extraction ship wants to save her. But she tells them to go as she tries to take out the, the elites that are surrounding their extraction ship. And eventually... It was her chance for a heroic sacrifice. If you see one, you take one. Right, right. And, uh, of course, you know, even be- it's even better when it's all for naught and es- can establish, like, a truly tragic backstory thing. You know, yeah. Like, a real Halo legend. Because the ship blows up. Womp womp. And then, in the flashback, the clone version of Daisy tells her that she has dreams of being strong. Uh, like she is. And then gives her this teddy bear charm that they keep showing us throughout the course of the episode that she has hanging off of her assault rifle. Um, that is like... I was about to say that's the most Japanese thing in this, but then I remembered what comes in the next... <laughs> <laughs> right, sorry, forgot. Forgot what we're dealing with here. Uh... But she gets given this charm, and then on a transport later, like in a, a van, Ralph is with Daisy, and he reveals that his clone was sick, and Daisy tells him not to beat himself up, and that they both did what they had to do. And the radio states that Daisy and Ralph have been reacquired, but that the other two escapees committed suicide with their sidearms, and we're shown a gravestone with a relief showing the Daisy clone. Okay, I got it. 
Ah, all right. I finally figured it out. So what happens is they all went back to their homes and they found that they'd been replaced with clones of themselves and the clones are sick and dying and that's depressing. And the other two chose to kill themselves while these two chose to kill their clones and put them out of their mercy, out of their, uh, their hell. Yeah. All right. That's better. I feel better about it. That's good. That's, you know what? It's good to work things through. Yeah. 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 Um, I, yeah. Best story so far, I suppose. Uh, back in the present, Daisy's dead. And then, and then to to remove all the poignancy, Master Chief shows up to close her dead eyes and steal her teddy bear charm from her lifeless corpse. Weird conclusion. Didn't yeah, seem it's like necessary. All, it's all meaningful and shit, isn't it? <laughs> like me, themes and and feelings and shit. Yeah, you know, I'm just. I feel like you could have saved on the animation. If you'd just, like, done a zoom out from her dead, lifeless stare. And, and, yeah. You know? Because. Yeah, it would have been nice. Yeah. That would have been yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> Next is Odd One Out. Yeah. See, now, you didn't care for this, but. I Like I said, I didn't laugh out loud, but I found it amusing enough. It's, sti- it no, was... it's still way better. Than I think most of the other ones. It is just of a comedy style that I that generally doesn't resonate with me, for sure. Yeah. It, that's not to say. So it's a lot bad. of anime anime styled slapstick. Right, and that and that is not my taste. Right, um, I I remember when Trigun uh, was a thing that was first made its way to the West, and uh, and I was just getting back into anime, and I had watched Serial Experiments Lane, and was like, oh my gosh, I. Okay, Pioneer is doing is bringing over some really good shit. Oh, this Trigun thing looks interesting. I'm going to watch that. And I watched the first episode, and I was like, oh, fuck, what have I done? Because it is this sort of slapstick stuff that I hate. And thankfully, by the third episode, you know, within the first DVD, it demonstrates, well, no, there's a darker thing going on here, and just stick with it. It's going to be okay, Conrad. <laughs> and, and it was, and it's a great series, and I appreciate it. So it's not... Uh, it's just I'm familiar enough with it that it makes me like wary because I've seen it enough and the tropes are like okay. Yeah. Uh, this is still it's still good is the problem. Like I know it's it, it is one of the better two or three. Yeah. Out of this and and it deserves. I mean, one thing it's got going for it is pacing more than oh, anything God, yes. else. This one actually moves. Yes. You know. Did I st- and actually I think this might be the only one I didn't watch at an advanced speed and the reason for that is is it actually has significant enough dialogue going through it. Yeah. Stuff's happening and people are talking. There are characters to connect with. Yeah. It it tells unlike some of the others which just seem to exist to re-emphasize thematic points or historical points. This one is actually telling a story. This one is actually a Halo legend. This is the this is the this is the episode that is uh like most of the Animatrix because even the Animatrix has its really sort of dour and heavy expository voiceover based introduction. Uh, but for the most part, that tells interesting stories set in that universe. 
this this at least does that, even if it's in a style that feels really out of place in the, that universe. At least it's interesting. Um, so Spartan 1337, uh, immediately establishing the tone. The consistency is good in this, too, I have to I have to say. Like, they they do this right. Uh, he sort of falls to the planet's surface, not in a frame, not in anything, no sort of drop ship, just falls. Cortana and Master Chief are on the ship he falls from. Yep. And notes that he's a trained Spartan, he'll be fine, this kind of thing happens to him a lot. Yeah, not the first time he fell out of a pelican, I believe they say. Yeah. Dusting himself off on the surface, uh, 1337 shouts at them not to leave him behind, but they do anyway. And then three kids dressed as cavemen approach him and call him a junkie robot. (laughs) And this is the point at which I realize what the style of this is going to be uh, and typed into the um, synopsis. Oh, God, this is full blown anime territory, isn't it? As he's explaining to the kids how awesome he is, a Tyrannosaurus suddenly charges in and picks him up with his mouth. And it's like, you know what? I don't have time to be bored. That's great. One of the kids throws a stick and the dino fetches it, dropping 1337 and stepping on him in the process. Comical. Good times. Good slapstick. Uh, On a Covenant ship above, a prophet's getting intel on the location of that group of Spartans. Decides it's time for a field test for their bio-warrior Pluton. Is Pluton... Does Pluton appear elsewhere? I don't know. Maybe someone else knows. I don't know. I don't know. Feels developed for something like like this. But anyway, the, the prophet's basically Mumra in this sequence. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Pluton sort of rises up from the ground. He's got all these cybernetic things connected to him, and those pop off. And then, and then he is like the dopey idiot running the wrong direction, while the the prophet has to tell him where to go. He's like, "Oh, I need a vacation." I didn't like that line. Didn't like I need a vacation. I need a vacation. Like even in 2010, that was really old. Yeah, as a thing, it's it's not funny. It was funny. It wasn't even funny when they, he said it in Terminator 2, but it at least worked. Well, I think... And that's the last and only time it worked when was when Arnold said it in Terminator 2. And I think we were now, you know, now we're, we're in the meme age, right? Uh, even, you know, even at this point, 2010, this came out. Uh, and I think by this point, we, we know that uh, a facepalm suffices. And it would have been yeah. so easy. Everyone knows it. Yeah. I Need a Vacation could still work if it was at the end. Well, if it was in that Terminator 2 context, he'd had the shit kicked out of him. He had, like, one arm. His metal eye was, hang- like, poking out from under the skin bit. Um, and he looked like he was literally had been completely threshed. And at that point, I need a vacation for something that doesn't take vacations. That works. Now, after I... one misunderstanding, the prophet says, "I need a vacation." It just it, the situation didn't warrant that line. Now, again, we might 
we might be even looking at this from the wrong perspective too because within the context of this style of of anime that's trope heavy slapstick I need a vacation. Like, that feels like it's right out of one of those 1980s uh, Japanese animated Western dubs. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Uh, it, from that perspective, I could see how that would feel appropriate. But uh, you're right. It's definitely. It didn't old work school. for me if yeah. that was the case. Um, so, uh, Pluton then runs off to leave the hall in the right direction to be shipped off for battle. Uh, 1337 tries to radio the other Spartans again with no success. When the uh, kids have apparently been following him on the back of their dinosaur. And they point out the arrival of another space object that lands pretty much right at their feet. And it's Pluton. So 1337 tells the kids to run, which they do. And we get lots of really, really, really close-up shots of things to avoid showing detail fighting happening. That's what it is. Yeah. Look at this arm! I have a sword! Uh, 1-3-3-7 gets beat pretty bad, and then there's huge explosions as a result. And so, in a cave elsewhere, the kids are hiding out, and a couple of older siblings show up to ask what's going on. And the young kids tell them about the robot and the giant monkey, and the big brother promises to take care of it. Uh, one through through seven gives himself a little self-affirmation, stands up from his wounds, and it turns out that he's also coincidentally like right by the kids. Okay, and as he looks out over a cliff edge, he sees this old space freighter that must have crashed at some point, and then the kids explain that hey, oh, this is where we were born, and they walk in the direction of the freighter, talking about how tough their mom was, fighting off space alien or space pirates. Um, maybe she's got a Samazarin thing going on. I don't know. That'd be a fun crossover. Um, once Disney acquires everything, I think we'll get there. Uh, and they, you know, they anyway, so they, they confront Pluton as a group now, these two older siblings and 1337. And the kids do kicks. They do lots of kicks. Um, that's kind of fun. Weird, but fun. And uh, one three three seven does a running jump or something. Pluton gets knocked back, and one three three seven commends himself in his victory. But you know the bad guys charging up to go Super Saiyan. Oh yeah. And the kids rush in, and Pluton shoots a ball of energy that smacks one three three seven in the chest, while the older sister starts swinging an entire tree around. Yeah. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but it never actually quite explains. That where their power comes from, their great, or are great they like, power. or did they just like come out of Spartan tubes? No idea. Maybe that's it. Maybe they're like they don't. They're just not part of the Spartan thing because of the ship that is in the story. But determining, but either way, she picks up a fucking tree, an entire tree. You see the roots hanging off the bottom of it, and it's three times her size. Determining that they can't win at this point, 1337 tries the old look behind you on Pluton, which the kids say will never work, but then does, because this is that kind of anime. And suddenly, an AI awakens on the old freighter, and it releases a rainbow of energy that strikes Pluton, 
activating a slipstream portal, which is, I guess, this, I guess the Halo universe's form of warp drive. Cool. And then it fires an escape pod into him that pushes him through the portal to God knows where. That's, I, you know what? Credit where credit's due. That's fun. That's a fun way to take out the bad guy. Uh, the kids say that this is Mama's doing. And then back on the Spartan ship, Cortana notes the presence of this AI, but says not to retrieve it, as it's an antique model and it seems to be happy there. Cool. Awkwardly phrased. But fine. And at a cabin, the kids are told by a disembodied voice to wash up for dinner, after having played caveman all day. <laughs> this is so weird. Uh, one three three seven reflects on Mama a bit before being reached by Master Chief on the radio, who directs him to a rendezvous point. But that he's picked up by a pterodactyl, <laughs> and we see Pluton wound up somewhere floating in space near a halo. Which is why I'm wondering if that was, like, set up for him appearing in a later game. Yeah, I don't know if he ever did. I can't remember. Um, or in a game that had already appeared, and it was just explaining, you know, a comic, yeah. goofy how he got I'm it. I'm sure if I Google it right now, Spartan1337, I'll find something. Here yeah. we are, the Halo Nation wiki here oh god it's a spartan 2 commander of the unsc naval special warfare blah 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 um he is the main character of odd one out the non-canon <gasps> and satirical interpretation of the halo universe oh so the best one on the uh compilation isn't even real and that's all it is he's, he's only there for odd one out wow bummer yeah not even real not even uh canon Wow, that's disappointing. Yeah. The planet that he's on in the short is called Cronky. Apparently, on the uh, the DVD commentary of Halo Legends, Frank O'Connor joked that Pluton deserved his own series. Ah. Hmm. Hmm. And, and the laser beam seat is a reference to Shoop de Whoop. All right, then. Well, you know, I have just learned so much about Halo through this experience. It's been uh, really just one... Oh, God, there's three more of these. Right. Prototype. A woman asks her Sarge ghost to look at the moon. She's wounded, likely dying, wants to know the nature of their relationship, and suggests that he is emotionally unaffected by things. Super cool start. And then flash forward to three years later, in the middle of a battle, there are shuttles that are extracting civilians, but there's a group of engineers refusing to leave, and a soldier who won't leave them behind either is telling that to his lieutenants, and, you know, to us, so that we have, you know, context for the story. And the engineers that won't leave, they're working to destroy a weapons prototype before it could fall into the Covenant's hands. And a bunch of Covenant land... And the lieutenant determines that they're going to have to stand their ground until the evac can arrive and notes that the demolition squad that must be involved and, and says the name Ghost. Which, hey, that's the name of the Sarge from the earlier thing. For my money, this is the shittest one. 
Yeah. For my money, this is the ghost story is the shittest one because it's like a parody of anime that isn't a parody. The whole open up and have feelings dear grim protagonist oh, yeah. who will sacrifice himself for us later like that is so it's just the trope yeah and there's nothing added to it yeah 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 you're looking at it and you are in your in your heart you need to have a portion of your your soul that believes that this was parody at, uh, on some level to someone working on it yeah it's so rubbish yeah this this whole story is just so rubbish because there's nothing to it it is just a story a collection a small collection of ancient storyline tropes that have been given nothing new nothing interesting it really is just and it's corny yeah as well on top of everything else pure corn yeah the uh as it uh looks like these uh oh okay yeah we got a uh, a couple other soldiers it cuts to, it has to cut to two different soldiers now to have another conversation about ghost so we can know who he is uh, that he lost his entire unit on his last mission and didn't give two fucks about it and so that's why he keeps getting sent on jobs what and as it looks like the soldiers are finally going to get killed by approaching Covenant, this giant mech jumps in, which they recognize as the prototype. And Ghost is inside, and he's going to use it to fuck shit up for the Covenant. All right, fine. So as he's laying waste to these Covenant soldiers and vehicles, he's told that he's operating outside mission parameters that he used to destroy the suit and all associated data. Uh, and he notes that, well, you know, the data's already been destroyed, and my use of the suit's just to ensure the survival of my soldiers, after which it's also going to be destroyed, you know, probably in some, like, super dramatic fashion that makes me out to be some hero. Cut back to the dying woman, and the voiceover of Ghost reflecting on how he lost his entire platoon, and that was when he truly earned his code name, Ghost. He knows that the detonation sequence for the mech requires a code word. Good that you set that up. Before Ghost yep. tells his commander to just get his men off the planet. He blows up ships with missiles and grabs onto one and pops off some close-range explosive rounds and does fighting with elites and drones and all of the Halo's greatest hits are there. Uh, until the until his mech gets disabled. It is... I literally described everything that happens, but it does take a solid two minutes. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, another reason I don't like this is it reminds me of the Dark Souls comic book. At least the first one, because that's the only one i read so far. And the Dark Souls comic book is just a selection of vaguely told shaggy dog stories that mean nothing uh. and exist just to impart some sort of mild, well-trodden theme. And that's exactly what this is. Yeah. You could replace the guns with the swords and put this in the Dark Souls comic of just, like I say, vague, vague shaggy dog stories that impart a very basic old theme. Yep, and and you're not wrong. Uh, so he reflects again on that night and how he resulted in his conscience at that time, how he can't atone for having failed to protect his dead platoon. And then in the mech, the computer asks him to speak the command that's going to start the detonation sequence. 
And that command is be human. Which is just a tremendously just... dumb, shitty, weird choice for anyone. It might as well have just been a picture of a fucking sledgehammer. And then we're showing the flashback again. Where the soldier's dying. Tells him to be human. And how he needs to feel something. And you know what? Points for saving on the animation budget. That's it's real good that they got to... I mean, this you gotta remember, this is like 12 and a half minutes. And they managed to find a way to reuse like a full minute of it. Yeah. That's... Yeah, it's just the same thing. They flash back to something. They, they run it a little old. longer. Is the is oh yeah, yeah yeah? But that's it. It's just they they add a little. They play out a little bit that was truncated off the first time. And there you go. Yeah. Now this would be a point where you could have a twist. Like maybe he sees the be human thing and it actually galvanizes his right. wanting to bury stuff, and he gets back up and fights or something like that. And I was like, well, you know, maybe if they. But no, he just says be human and, and that's it. And blows it up, which is not he, heroic or exciting or interesting. And, no, it's... Yeah. I'm a, I'm fine with the idea of accepting defeat, you know, and the last stand act. And that's fine. That's all fine. But, it's, but nothing happened that we haven't seen hundreds of times, like hundreds of times before at this point. Yep. And this is not a way that conveys it dramatically. No. It's like the third or fourth heroic sacrifice in this collection. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And probably not the best one of them. Certainly no. not the best one. Uh, the commander in voiceover. Uh, oh, yeah, he does his smile, blows up. The evac team barely gets out of rage of the blast because, of course... And the commander in voiceover notes that the mission's a success and rescinds a recommendation for a court-martial of Ghost. Now he's a hero. Yep. The Babysitter. This is probably number two. This is a well-told story, albeit one that is painfully predictable. Sure. Nothing... I mean, it's true for all of them that nothing that happens is a surprise, ever. Um, but this one, like, I called it the moment the main character started complaining about being a babysitter. <laughs> Which is the beginning of the story. <laughs> On a ship in space, Marines are gathered in a mess hall, and one of the soldiers goes to sit down with a group of ODSTs, but is dragged away by one of his friends because he's told they're out of his league. And one of the ODSTs is bitching about being benched on backup shooter position as a sniper, despite being the best shooter on the team. And But it turns out that the leader of the team is going to be a Spartan, so shit's real here. And in a briefing, the commanding officer notes the unusual nature of a Spartan leading the team. And that obviously these th these soldiers are going to have some pretty strong feelings about Spartans that they're going to have to disregard. Or it might be mined mm -hmm. for plot conflict later in the story. <laughs> Except it's not. No. I have... Well, they, they ain't got much time, have they? I have no idea why anyone has a problem with, with Spartans. None. That's true, actually, yeah. 
<laughs> Especially when I see when I see in the games and almost all other media I've ever seen of Halo, they're pretty much worshipped. Yeah, whenever a Spartan shows up, they're like, oh shit, we're saved. And it's usually just when one shows up. Yeah. And it's not like I couldn't imagine people having an issue with someone that outclassing. Sure. And I'm but sure that they are emotionally it's not distant by nature of their yeah. conditioning and training and sure. But, you know, it'd be nice to see that evidenced within the, the plot rather than having us, you know, just assuming. Yeah, well, it, it, there are some things. This is this is such a, a situation where telling us doesn't do us any favors. And especially yeah, if you're... Yeah, there's no point. And if you're not... And if, especially if you're not going to leverage it later. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, all that all that is sufficient is that the person, the, the crack shot who's being replaced is bitter about it. That's all we need. Right. And you can still note that it's unle- unusual for a Spartan to be leading a team of ODSTs. That's fine. But this whole, like, oh, you know, Spartans and these guys don't... I don't get it. Yeah, so... Uh, he then moves There's on. There's probably lore somewhere that explains I'm it sure. in laborious detail. I'm sure. They then move on to a mission brief, which is to eliminate a prophet, and that will disrupt a major covenant supply chain and give them a strategically advantageous position for months. So, cool. That I get. Um, and also, it's really nice to, like... See a briefing where the plan to kill a person it then explains the expected outcome of killing that person, as opposed to we just want you to go kill this person. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, so they're gonna sneak into uh, the planet that these people are gonna be on amidst a meteor shower. And they're gonna march fourteen hours. And assassinate the prophet as he disembarks from a ship that he's scheduled to arrive in. uh, And gather data on alien ruins in the area when they're done. Now, their pods sort of navigate their way into a chain of of meteors. Um, You know, it's it's like merging onto a highway, right? And and one of the guys, not a great driver, knocks into an asteroid gets wasted uh another as they're descending drops it off target into a lake and this is our sniper guy who's bitching about you know being put on backup and everyone else lands in a forest and once they're landed everybody gets out of their pods and rushes over to the one that's in the lake and it's i guess an acid lake it seems like an acid lake some sort of acidy bog thing from all the bubbles that are coming up around it but it's sinking. And before they can get to the equipment to help, you know, sort of winch him out or whatever it is they're going to do, the Spartan wades into the middle of the lake, grabs the pod with his two hands, and throws it to shore. This is the first time they have depicted, like, the strength disparity between a Spartan and a normal person in a way that's really crystal clear to me. Yeah. Like, that's terrifying. I can see why everyone views them with awe. But this is the first time now, ever, I think, <laughs> I have actually understood why. Yeah, I that can't was. remember anything from the games that. 
quite um, portrays it that way. The team goes over the mission again and the shooting location, which is two miles from the actual target. And after being catty about whether or not the Spartan can make the shot, they get to marching. <laughs> Eventually arrive at an ancient city populated with Covenant drones. And the Spartan and the ODST do some stealth takedowns, and, and a brute shows up and fighting happens. And that cocky asshole ODST sniper falls off a waterfall while the Spartan melees the brute before, you know, then going and retrieving O'Brien from yet another body of liquid. Who then says he just got lucky. Who's the one that got lucky, asshole? Tell me, O'Brien. And then they continue their march through ruins before finding their sniper position two minutes before the target's supposed to arrive. And we get one of those really unfortunately aged uh, large group panning scenes where all of the characters are not good CG. Yeah. With all these Covenant lined up to welcome the Prophet off the ship. And as the ship descends, we see something is approaching from behind the team, and we see it from its perspective, so we know it's bad. And also because the, the you know screen tinge is red, so he must be an enemy, obviously. Uh, and it turns out to be a brute. The Spartan notices just in time to save O'Brien yet again. And the group... Do you see where this is going, everyone? I, th- I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's only been three times. So I think we may, may need a few more before I figure... So the group takes down the brute together, but the Spartan... At this point, anyone who doesn't think that the line literally take the shot will be said <laughs> hasn't seen much in the way of human creation also every 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 spartan in this that isn't master chief gets their shit fucked up yeah spartans are pretty rubbish but uh yeah so she's she's badly injured uh and, and they remove the spartan's helmet to do the uh samus Aran reveal and we get the reaction and pause of that yep it was a woman one all along class and uh she yes says literally the thing literally the take the shot you're the only one who cared o'brien so he does and the prophet takes one to the dome and the dying Spartan gives the team the data from the ruins and says to give it to Halsey. Whoever the fuck that is. Back in the mess hall, the good soldier who wanted to sit with the ODST team before now comes over and starts talking smack. <laughs> like, some real dunking on the Spartan who went on a mission with them and is the only one who didn't come back. Yeah. Uh, until the team pelts him with the apples that he brought them. Uh, which is kind of a tonally weird way to end this story. But that's what... I think every good story ends with an apple pelting. 
which leads us to the package. Is this the last one? Oh, praise. Praise, Bob. Thank, thank God. Or whatever it is the Covenant believe in, I don't know. The Forerunners. Fucking they worship the Forerunners. Or something. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Those, those jackasses. Those pretentious shitheads. Spartans are briefed that the Covenant has, required, has acquired a package that the Spartans are to retrieve from them. And it's super valuable. But the Covenant doesn't know that yet. And as the team is dismissed, Master Chief asks what'll happen if they don't get the package back in time. And is told that they'll vaporize the package and his entire team. So, you know, no pressure. Yeah, get a wriggle on. The Spartans are loaded into frames and dropped into space to approach the Covenant fleet. And they're attacked with all these plasma turrets, and it's very Star Wars combat-y. As a scanning device is dropped onto one of the ships to do searching for the package. And it's located on one of the cruisers. So two of the Spartans, Solomon and Casey, they bust in without the rest of the team to go find it. Solomon isn't willing to wait. It's too important. But Master Chief, he senses a trap. Sure enough, he's right. And it's a bomb, and it kills Solomon and Casey, while some elites on another ship laugh about it, which, yeah, I would. Uh, Master Chief determines that the thing that they want must be on the flagship cruiser. Uh, yeah? Yeah. I mean... That had been my default anyway. I'm not sure what exactly it is that they revealed by this action. He seems to suggest that it was some misstep that they, the Covenant made that revealed its position. It's just the first place you'd look, isn't it? But inside, the elites seem to be talking about how to go, you know, confront them. And the Spartans fly amidst the fleet and lose another of the team to rough piloting. Uh, that's, uh, I think that I can't remember their name. Don't care. Uh, Kelly loses her frame, but lands on Master Chiefs to operate his turret for him. And by the time they get to the flagship, punching a hole with it, uh, into it with missiles and plasma cannons and eventually, like, damaged frames, they board the ship. Running and gunning happens as they penetrate deeper in. Wasting Covenant soldiers without slowing down, dramatically tossing grenades and switching weapons, doing slow-mo and leaps and rolls and dives, and somehow it is still not interesting. This is the most dynamic combat sequence in any of this. It's done to reflect a Matrix-style combat, you know? This is supposed to be sort of the the Federal Reserve Bank sequence from The Matrix, but without all of that stopping to hide for cover. Yeah. How is it so boring? Well, I mean, this one being all CG, but, like, obviously not high-end CG, so everything's a bit plain. Yeah, there's no, there doesn't, there's no punch to anything, I think, that happens no. in the combat. Yeah, it's just all. It's not very well animated. It's the, the, it's a little bit limited. Um, and it, and, you know, I'm not I'm not expecting cutting edge CGI. No, but you know, work work within your means. But I, I think you're right, and I think it is kind of an issue of impact. And and what 
I find kind of interesting about it on reflection is that the approach to the combat in this hallway sequence is pretty much the same that's applied to the exterior shooting sequences in that it all just sort of drives forward and it's a lot of lasers flying back and forth and, you know, not really hitting anything. It's just, it's, it's that doesn't matter. Like, there doesn't feel like there's any stakes. Even when you lose someone, it doesn't feel like there's any stakes. Um, and they, they do uh, lose another one here, so to speak, in that Fred stops at a door to fight a uh, big bad elite while Master Chief and Kelly continue to the target. Uh, when the Covenant commander starts shedding the parts of the shift, ship that they're running on to leave them floating in space. And this is the most creative thing maybe in this entire two-hour exercise in terms of a an action that a character takes to serve a goal. Yeah. I like this. Sort of. I mean, it's still boring. Um, there's some uh, dramatic leaps that follow until Kelly winds up sort of in the middle of space and Master Chief leaps toward her and she uses herself to propel him further on but she gets left behind again effectively sacrificed herself and Master Chief does the I'm going to float through the doors as they close in the last second thing to make it inside where he finds a cryo unit that contains Dr. Halsey well it's good to know who, who that name belongs to I've heard that name. She must be important. Yep. And she seems to be on a first-name basis with Master Chief. After a bit of reunion banter, uh, they move out, opening a door to face the second-in-command elite who tosses Master Chief a plasma sword. And fencing happens. But they're interrupted by the Covenant fleet entering Slipstream, planning to scuttle the ship with Master Chief still on it. And the elite that is fighting him rages against his people as they beam him up, Scotty, saying that he had this shit down, there's no reason to do this. Uh, he's going to be, you know, shamed and choose death or being an arbiter. <gasps> Meanwhile, Master Chief and Halsey run to another part of the ship, saying that they'll improvise. Uh... Improvising, to me, says something a little more than finding an escape pod. Like, if a ship is destroyed or in the process of being destroyed, going and using an escape pod seems like sort of uh, the pre-established plan, I guess, is what I'm looking at, and not so much an improvisation. Right. Um, maybe they're improvising because they, they don't know how to do that. But anyway, they, they leave the ship in this pod. They're pursued by some Covenant ships, and they're about to be overcome when it turns out that Fred and Kelly are still alive, and they're piloting Covenant ships to help defend them. And then a big UNSC ship appears, and everybody's safe. Yay! But on board, Master Chief feels like it's been a hollow victory. Because they lost them two Spartans. 
and he reflects on how strong that elite they met was. Gosh, I hope I don't meet him again. And Kelly suggests this is just the beginning. But it's not. Thank Christ. It's the end. That's correct. You know what? I was worried this wouldn't be a very entertaining podcast because it was such a boring thing. I think we've managed to make this good listening. (coughs) But it has felt like one of our two-hour-plus recordings, even though it's not. It's only been 90 minutes. And, like... Yeah. uh, So... I struggled to watch this one in ways that I never have with other ones. Yeah, like every once in a while, I'll start one, and I'll be like, ugh, this is so dreary. I'm going to take a break and come back and finish it later. But because uh, this is both incredibly dreary and separated into distinct episodes, it was also really easy to stop. Right. And so at a couple points during the course of doing this, uh, well, after both origins, I had to stop because like, this is just the dullest shit I've ever watched. And I, like, if that's setting the tone for what's to come, it, right, yeah. and thankfully it's not, right? Everything that follows origins is on some level more engaging or entertaining. Yeah, it's all okay. Yeah. It's fine. I don't feel like I need to ask if you liked it or no, not. No, but, but I mean, even as compared to things like Dante's Inferno, which, you know, that like that similarly is different animation teams making very different things. It's episodic to an extent. Uh, but that, even when it was bad, real bad, that competent that or that competence or lack thereof in the production brought it to funny or or at least brought it to entertaining in in some respects and this really just does not it is just competent enough to fail at being interesting most of the time yeah i mean we've managed to make our own entertainment a bit but the the film i guess we'll call it itself does not give us much to work with no and i think I think if you watch it on the Blu-ray version, you get to watch the credits after every one. Nah. So. No thanks. Maybe think about that because those credits are like six minutes long. If this had credits on after every single one, I'd have actually messaged you and said, let's not bother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it. I mean, I guess I could skip them, but right. I, I would not take that. I, I would take the out of Let's Not Do Shit, It. Shit, I won't take that from Hideo Kojima. Yeah. I still haven't finished MGS5. Fair point. I loved it, but fair point. Couldn't ask anyone reasonably to, yeah. <laughs> to deal with some of Kojima's bullshit. So what are we doing next time, Jim? Uh, well... To take a break from something that's animated and anime-styled in places that might be boring, uh, I thought we'd do Pokemon the Movie <laughs> 2000. Well, you know, people have... Someone said last week, uh, last episode, when we mentioned we were doing Halo Legends, they were like, oh, you guys are going to go out of your way to never do anime. You're going to do everything you can to avoid anime. I'm like, all right, then. Time for an, for an anime. You know, that... Just like the ones you watch in Japan. We've heard you. We've heard your criticisms. 
Uh, we appreciate the feedback. We're taking it on board. And we're happy to present you a Pokemon movie. Yes, we've. This is actionable complaining that we have acted upon. See, this is um, so. Let this be a lesson in what happens when you complain. <laughs> when you complain, it is Pokemon the movie two thousand, isn't it? I think so. There are so There's many of so them, many. and I tell you this: we are not doing all of them no. ever. There are 22. There are 22 films. We would do Homestuck first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We would get through Homestuck quicker, I think. <laughs> um, especially if you factor in the amount of time spent putting off watching any of them. Um, but yeah, uh, Pokemon the Movie 2000, known in Japan as Pocket Monsters the Movie, Revelation Lugia, of course. Um That'll be a 1999 film for us all to watch together. Because, again, we uh, just watch. Just you wait. This will turn out to be horrible for us to watch, but it will be the best podcast we've ever done, and people will complain more to get more oh, things. Oh, God, it will do, we'll, and we'll wind up... Well, okay, so are we, pun- are we punishing ourselves? I mean, we've been punishing ourselves the whole time, at least. Yeah. <laughs> at least under these circumstances, it feels like we're spreading it around. Yeah. yeah. Pokemon the movie 2000 earned less at the box office than its predecessor, Pokemon the first movie. So there's a fact for you. Oh, people a have movie missed... fact. People have missed the facts, too. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll start doing them here and there again. Um, but anyway, that's what we're doing next time. Some genuine bona fide anime for you. All right? <laughs> it's Starsikue Otani, huh? You're welcome. Anime, Revelation Lugia, come on. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, you can follow Conrad on Twitter, at Conrad Zimmerman. Um, yep. I suppose you can follow me, at Jim Sterling, if you want, but you probably know that. Um, that'll be it. Yeah, we'll see you next time for Pokemon the Movie 2000 in about two weeks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>